The invasion so far is not going according to plan. You're listening to the news on RTHK. AM, FM and live online. This is Radio 3. Good morning, it's 8.03 in Hong Kong on Tuesday the 1st of March. A very warm welcome to Tuesday's Money Talk on Radio 3. This is Peter Lewis with the business and finance headlines. In the latest developments following the Russian invasion of Ukraine, the Biden administration yesterday announced sanctions against Russia's central bank. The measures prevent Americans from doing any business with the bank, as well as freezing its assets within the United States. Switzerland has broken its long-standing tradition of political neutrality and announced that it intends to match EU sanctions on Russia, including those directed personally against President Vladimir Putin. And in an unprecedented move, Singapore on Monday said it would impose appropriate sanctions and restrictions on Russia over its invasion of Ukraine. It's only the second time in the city-state's history that it has censored a foreign nation without the United Nations Security Council's approval. Russia's central bank more than doubled its key interest rate from 9.5% to 20% to try and offset the depreciation of the ruble and the risk of higher inflation. Moscow also introduced currency controls, ordering companies to sell 80% of their foreign currency revenues and blaming Russians from transferring foreign currency abroad or servicing loans in foreign currency outside the country from today. Queues formed at Russia's empty cash machines as Russian citizens feared a collapse of the ruble and worried they would be unable to access their savings. Hong Kong health authorities yesterday reported a record 34,466 new COVID-19 notification cases. The latest infections bring the total number of cases in the fifth wave since it started in December to almost 200,000. The Health Secretary, Sophia Chan, said the government is still considering whether to impose a lockdown when it tests everyone in the SAR for COVID-19 this month. Panic buying spread across the territory and long lines formed at supermarkets, emptying shelves of fresh meat, vegetables and other groceries, along with medication. On today's Money Talk, we're joined by John Schofield of Tempest Investment and Lashar of BBVA Research. With a view from Japan is Maxime Darmet from Fitch Ratings. Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. In the global financial markets, US and European stocks dropped, oil prices rose, the ruble plunged and US government bonds rallied after the EU... US and their allies imposed new sanctions on Russia and the corporate backlash against Moscow intensified. In a volatile trading session, US stocks recovered from their lows of the day. The S&P 500 index ended the day 0.2% lower at 4,374, having been down as much as 1.6%. The Dow dropped 166 points to 33,893. The Nasdaq Composite Index saw a late-day rally, ending 0.4% higher at 13,751. The Pan-European Stocks 600 Index lost 0.1%. European bank stocks with large exposure to Russia, including Deutsche Bank, Societe Generale, Raffeson Bank and Unicredit, all sold off sharply on Monday. The UK's FTSE 100 dropped 0.4%. 
Russia closed its stock exchange on Monday, but the Vanek Russian ETF plunged more than 30% in US trading. Deutsche Börse, Germany's largest stock exchange operator, suspended trading on Monday in 16 Russian securities, including Aeroflot, Rosneft, Sberbank, VTB and Gazprom. In Hong Kong, the Hang Seng ended the day 54 points, or 0.2% lower, at 22,713, the lowest close since March 2020. And for the month of February, the index retreated 4.6%, the worst month since November. The tech index recovered from losses earlier in the day to close 0.1% higher. However, for the month, it slumped 5.5%. Shares of Alibaba fell 0.9% after being down earlier in the day, almost 5% to the lowest level since its listing in Hong Kong in November 2019. Shares of aluminium giant Roussel, which is the only major Russian company listed in Hong Kong, plunged over 16%. On the mainland, the Shanghai Composite Index rose a third of a percent to 3,462. And Chinese EV maker NIO has applied for a secondary listing in Hong Kong. According to a filing yesterday, NIO won't sell new shares or raise money in the listing. And it says the trading in its Hong Kong shares is expected to begin on March the 10th. In the commodities markets, Brent crude oil closed above $100 for the first time since 2014. It's trading right now at $100.34 a barrel. Spot gold rose by 1%. It's at $1,906 an ounce after Russia's central bank said it would start buying the precious metal in the domestic market. Wheat futures climbed 9% on the Chicago border trade, the biggest single-day gain in more than 11 years. Corn climbed 5.3% and soybeans by 3.3%. Government bond yields were sharply lower across the curve as investors sought safety. The US 10-year Treasury bond yield fell 15 basis points to 1.82%. And traders bought the US dollar. The euro is trading at $1.12. The buck said 115 Japanese yen. Sterling is worth $1.34 and a quarter cents and 10 Hong Kong dollars and 48 cents. The PBOC yesterday set the yuan midpoint 124 pips higher at 6.3222. That's the strongest since April 2018. In offshore markets, the yuan is at 6.31 and a third versus the dollar. The ruble, that plunged as much as 40% before ending the day 15% lower. And Bitcoin jumped 15% after Moscow banned Russians from selling their currency overseas. Around Asian stock markets this morning, uh, we're seeing a rebound. The SX200 is up 1.2%. Nikkei 225 in Japan up one and a quarter percent Stocks in South Korea are closed for a holiday. Uh, but here in Hong Kong, looks like the Hang Seng is going to rise about 80 points or so at the open this morning. Ten. Let's join our guests over in our Queensway studio. We have John Schofield, Managing Director of Tempest Investments. Morning to you, John. Hello, good morning, Peter. And also with us is Lashar, Asia Chief Economist at BBVA Research. Morning, Shark. Good morning, Peter. Um, so as we heard there, a lot of developments going on in the, uh, in the Ukraine uh, situation, a lot of new sanctions. John, let me ask you, um, 
these sanctions seem to be escalating quite uh, quite rapidly now. They're hitting Russian companies. They're hitting the central bank, uh, cut mm. banks off from SWIFT. Um, how serious are these? Are these really now, you know, in, in effect, I mean, as about as far as the US and their allies can go? Or is there more that could be done? Um, I don't know. There's more, more that could be done. I think, obviously, they have to... I, I assume there are still windows where, I mean, for example, uh, you know... Uh, Russia is exporting, still exporting gas to, to Europe. I, I assume there are still windows and mechanisms available to um, to, to pay for that gas, um, unless Mr. Putin decides to cut it off. Um, mm. and it's going to be difficult to pay it's, for it, though, isn't it's it? A, it's, a, it's a very, this is all, um, I think, a very, you know, it's an experiment in uh, deglobalization. Um, you know, how, how we've become very interdependent in many many areas mm-hmm. um, around the world as, uh, as as you know so I mean what seems to be going on here is that you know how we're going to disconnect you can't do it all at once but we're going to disconnect um, or conti- continue to take steps to disentangle uh, ourselves from the Russian economy and isolate it uh, as far as possible so it's a big economy to try and disconnect, isn't it? I mean, there's never been sanctions against a G20 central mm. bank uh, before ever. So there could be all sorts mm. of unintended consequences from this. Uh, yes, but that's, um, that seems to be the, the risk uh, our governments, you know, and I keep using the word unprecedented uh, unanimity uh, around the world, especially the, the Western world, obviously. Um, um, it, the resolve is is quite ex- extraordinary. So I mean, one can take some comfort for that. I, th- I think. Mm. Um, but uh, well, the, uh, don't forget, Ru- Russia is actually a surprisingly small economy. As you say it's G twenty. It's two percent of GDP, about the same as Italy, and all it's got going for it uh, is um, ex- raw materials exports uh, of grain. Mm oil and gas, and uh, many of these precious metals that are um, uh, rare earths and so on, and items like titanium, which they have very large um, share of global production. So it would be interesting to see how how the rest of the world uh, decides to substitute those Shark, how, 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 do, you, how do you see this? What, how big a, uh, an impact does this have on the global economy? Yeah, I think that will be a very big disruption for the global economy. As John said, the oil, they export a lot of energy to the rest of the world. I think this one definitely could push up this inflation associated from energy. And in later stage, I think this one can feed into uh, other parts and we can see uh, this inflation will become structured. Mm. I think that that's uh, one of the big impact on global economy. At the same time, uh, we have never seen that uh, uh, these uh, Western countries start to sanction against the uh, central bank, as you said, the central bank of the G20. So uh, I think that basically crypto, the, uh, the, the ability for, for Russian to intervene in their financial market, right? So if you want to intervene in your financial market to uh, maintain stability of your currency, you need to use your uh, foreign reserve, especially in, in terms of the U.S. dollar. But now, if they sanction on these uh, uh, foreign reserves held by Russian, then that means uh, 
the central bank of the Russia, maybe they, what they can do is very limited. How mm-hmm. can they maintain this uh, financial stability? How can they maintain this uh, economic stability at such a critical moment? I think that poses very serious threat to the financial stability and to the entire economy of Russia. So I think this one is uh, quite uh, important. So, th- so they've effectively neutralized maybe about two thirds of Russian reserves. You could almost say they've, they've made them worthless, uh, worthless, because if you can't use them abroad and you can't stabilize your own financial markets, what's the point of having them? Yeah, exactly. Uh, I think that now what they can use is only part of their foreign reserve. And that's why they impose a very uh, restrictive uh, capital control and currency mm. control because uh, they cannot rely on this uh, uh, lender of the last resort, <laughs> the, the central bank, to to do this one. Mm. So they have to uh, uh, make sure that uh, uh, other uh, participants in the markets, they balance themselves. How can they do that? They must mm. impose this kind of restrictions. Yeah. John, is, is there a risk that the Russian financial system just collapses completely and then that has all sorts of impacts which are difficult to foresee on the global financial system, that there could be some sort of contagion? Well, as long as you can sort of control your own population, as it were, and uh, the, the ruble will circulate, it, it'll just become a, you know, um, an, isolated, an isolated entity, but just purely a bit like... Um, you know, say China was before before it started to open up. Um, you know, there was no no foreign exchange at all. Um, you just had to pay pay for everything in yuan. Mm. Um, and as long as that's the as long as it's confidence in your own currency is the is the key. Um, as long as you know the general population is willing to buy and sell things to each other in uh, in 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 that currency, then then that's fine. Mm. Um, the central bank has has quite a good track record in in, uh, uh, in in controlling the currency or controlling inflation. Um, so there's several articles about whether it could lead to hyperinflation within Russia, um, but it's it, it's it's likely they will be able to contain that. Does does this change the calculations of the Fed uh, later this month? I mean, obviously, uh, these soaring commodity prices are inflationary, which is not what the Fed wants to see. But then at the same time, this is not really the ideal time to be raising interest rates either, is it? Yes. Uh, how, how would it help? Um, yeah, I agree. You can't um, if the price if if it's a supply side restri- restriction, then then monetary. Uh, monetary measures are not going to be uh, do, do any good to control inflation at all. Mm. So it'll depend how the, uh, the the other side of the equation, the labour markets and so on, uh, evolve. Shark, what do you think? Do you think this changes maybe the the, the calculations of the Fed? Because you don't want to be um, raising interest rates when there's a financial crisis potentially going on and all this disruption going on, but at the same time, uh, inflation is going to soar even more. Uh, I think that for Fed, it should be okay because uh, anyway, they like behind the curve too much, right? If you look at the current inflation and you look at the current interest rate, I think that they have a, a very large policy room to, to hike interest rate. Mm-hmm. Uh, but of course, you are right. Uh, it, it depends how these things will evolve. Uh, if you take into consideration this uh, financial stability issue, but still, I think uh, for Fed, uh, what's the 
the spillover effect from this uh, uh, Russian financial system uh, debacle should be limited. Mm. I have to say, should be limited because uh, over the past several years, uh, uh, to some degree, the Russian financial system has been uh, isolated from the rest of the world because mm. of the, uh, the problem with uh, Ukraine, right? The, the same, the same similar problem. Mm. Uh, so I, I don't think the Fed they are going to change their uh, policies uh, stance uh, substantially because of this uh, uh, Ukraine-Russian uh, war. But I think. Uh, of course, in future, if this problem becomes a long-term one, if these things continue through the first half of the year, by that time, I think that, uh, yeah, that they need to hike several times this year. So in later stage, maybe Fed need to recalculate and adjust their uh, policy. I think the problem is on the side of the ECB, mm. right? John, as a portfolio manager, what do you do at a time like this? Clearly, if you hold Russian assets right now, you can't sell them. But what about um, other assets? Do you start looking at changing your portfolio? Do you see it as a buying opportunity? Do you think it's going to get worse? Or do you just sit there and do nothing? What do you do? Well, it's um, it's usually a mistake to, uh, you know, to panic and start uh, selling uh, equities, particularly during a, a geostrategic um, uh, geopolitical event, um, and and you know taking a step back in the, the long term, um, so rushing to government bonds, for example, is not going to is not going to help you um, you know generate uh, growth and, and 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 revenue in the long term. So I think uh, you know in the case of uh, the U.S. market is pr- proving uh, extremely resilient as, as ever, as are quite a few other markets around the world. Um, um, and um, you know, so so moves that have not already been taken. It's too late, really, to sort of panic and start selling. But um, and indeed, there is there's even a case for. Uh, it's too early for. for, for I, I think, but there's a case for um, you know starting to starting to look to buy on the bargains. Don't forget. Um, We've already had a, a very sizable correction in the, in, in the U.S. market, um, and particularly you know those those um, those large cap technology stocks um, are you know going to be um, going to be still very good investments in in, in the in the future mm. uh, for the long term. So, um, is there any sort it, of hedge against this sort of uncertainty that you can do, or um, I mean, is it something like gold or? What would it be? Um, again, gold is likely to. Um, it's interesting that actually there's not been a lot of movement in the, across the foreign exchanges, except for the for the ruble, uh, of course. So that's um, um, that's pretty. Um, we are in a, we're in a sort of a dollar gold mar- uh, bull market anyway. Mm-hmm. So I think that may that may may continue. Gold it tends to just keep its value. You know, we've been. Although it's you know, headlines are it's, it's jumped up a bit in the last few days, it's it's really just moved in a range mm-hmm. uh, for several years now between uh, seventeen fifty and nineteen fifty, something like that. Okay. Um, Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Let, let yeah. me, actually, let me ask Shark, Shark because uh, we, are, we are running out of time. Sure. Shark, about the Asian economies here. Obviously, they're big importers of it, uh, commodities overall. We're seeing oil and gas prices go up, agricultural commodities like wheat. What is the impact here? Are there any, um, are there any economies in particular that could be hit hard by this? Yeah, I think um, uh, if you look at the Asian economies, uh, generally they should be okay, although... 
uh, this kind of uh, Russian problem can push up this uh, energy price. But uh, uh, if you look at uh, uh, their uh, import resource, so I think uh, in a, for most of the Asian economies, they can diversify their uh, import resource so that to, uh, to make sure their uh, energy security. So that shouldn't be a, a very serious problem for uh, all these uh, Asian economy, even for China, I don't think uh, uh, this one could affect their energy uh, supply for, for China. Uh, mm-hmm. But the problem is uh, if you cannot do business with the Russian uh, for a long time, uh, yeah, of course, uh, they need to find new export destinations for China, for other important Asian economy. So I think the uh, anyway, I think the Russian and Ukraine, they are still far away for most of the Asian economy. Mm-hmm. John, yeah. final question for, for you. What, mm. what, does Russia uh, does China provide Russia with a way out? It's got, what, about 13% mm. of its reserves in Yuan. Does, does China uh, risk carrying on mm. doing business with Russia? Uh, well, uh, I can't answer that question, but I, I think it's very interesting. I'd love to know what um, Mr. Putin said to uh, Xi, <laughs> Xi, Xi in that meeting mm. in, in Beijing a, a few weeks ago. Wouldn't we um, all? Well, gets the feeling. Did, I mean, did I wonder if him? he's as yeah. Well, exactly. Um, has has, uh, has China been lied to also? Mm. Um, certainly, the sort of muted response suggests suggests that. Um, China's going to be very cautious, I think. Okay. Well, thank you both very much. Good to hear your thoughts there. John Schofield, Managing Director at Tempest Investments, and Lashar, who is Asia Chief Economist at BBVA Research. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Twenty-four and a half on the phone now is Maxime Domitz, economist at Fitch Ratings. Morning, Maxime, and welcome to Money Talk. Good morning, Peter. Um, let me ask you, continue with that conversation, what is the impact of what's going on in Ukraine on the Japanese um, economy and, and all the financial san- sanctions? Is there an impact? Well, I think it's a little, little bit too early to tell. Um, the thing is, Japan is going to be affected mostly through higher commodity prices, uh, mm other people what you were talking about but uh, when you look at the linkages in terms of finance and trade those are really tiny so for instance uh, japan uh, has stepped up sanctions against against russia which is quite unusual um so for instance they're going they're going to halt exports of military used goods uh, essentially semiconductors you know like to sort of produce military weapons but the thing is uh, this kind of exports from japan to reach russia is about uh like a tiny, like 0.1% of total uh, Japanese mm. export to, to Russia. So it's, it's always really small. On the financial side, uh, banks, uh, banks dealing with Russia, Japanese banks making business in Russia as well, uh, they have a very a small exposure. Uh, if you look, for instance, at their foreign assets in, uh, in Russia, it's about 0.1% of Japanese banks' total foreign assets. So very tiny, tiny shares. So... Uh, considering the, the, the sanctions as we speak, I don't really see a huge impact directly from the sanctions. Uh, although overall, again, the, the main impact is going to be really through uh, high prices for commodities, especially energy, energy prices. Uh, but in many ways, I mean, Japan is probably in a good position to weather that, isn't it? Because its inflation is still uh, very low. And the Bank of Japan, if anything, it would still like to see it um, higher. So, um, so maybe it can weather this storm. Yeah, definitely. As you, yeah, 
Japan is definitely in a good place in terms of inflation. It's, it's, it's very low at the moment, 0.5% in January. Uh, so it's, so it's, it's very sharp contrast to what's been happening in other dollar markets when inflation is like surging through the roof. Mm. So definitely we're going to see inflation going up with uh, higher, limit, higher energy prices. So probably close to 2% by May, so very close to the Bank of Japan's target. But nevertheless, a little below. Uh, so what, what that means is that Bank of Japan is unlikely uh, to respond by uh, hiking rates or by tightening its policy. So it should be it should remain quite dovish and should be quite uh, comfortable in keeping its monetary settings uh, unchanged and to keep supporting the economy because the mm. economy uh, is still quite depressed relative to, to, to pre-pandemic trends. Mm. Well, what about the impact on the yen? The yen is traditionally seen as a haven currency in, in times of trouble. Um, does the yen appreciate from here? Um, well, if you look over the past few days, the yen has been relatively stable against the dollar. Um, obviously, it has risen sharply against the ruble, but I think it's most currencies uh, have followed a similar pattern. But yeah, the look has been pretty stable for now. Uh, we would expect against the dollar. We'd expect uh, some mild depreciation to to continue to build maybe towards the end of the year because we we expect uh, U.S. long-term interest rates to continue to rise and and usually that means that the, the yen tends to weaken when when mm-hmm. U.S. long-term interest rates tend to rise. That being said, for next year, uh, I think we're a little bit uh, uh, different from the consensus in the sense that we see the yen starting to uh, to strengthen uh, against the dollar. And I think there are really two main reasons for that. Um, first of all, um, when you look over the past, the yen tends to appreciate when global growth slows down. And obviously, uh, growth is already slowing down from the pandemic-induced recession, but next year is going to be slowing down even further. And all this, uh, all what's been happening in Russia and Ukraine, and Ukraine with the rise in energy prices and so on, I think it's only adding headwinds to the global economic recovery. So mm. it will likely lead to a further strengthening of the, of the yen. And, and second of all, uh, we expect the Bank of Japan to start to run off its balance sheet. Uh, it didn't make a lot of headline, but the, the Bank of Japan is actually, uh, has actually sort of a stabilized balance sheet over the past few months, uh, which, which is quite interesting because over the past, past decade, it's been, it's been increasing at a very fast clip. Mm. Uh, so it has just started to stabilize balance sheet, and next year we expect balance sheet to be uh, shrinking, although at a, at a relatively mild pace. But nevertheless, usually when you, you see the balance sheet of the Bank of Japan starting to run off, uh, that usually leads to uh, some yen strengthening. Okay. And just finally, because um, we're, we're running out of time, but in terms of Japan's economy, we're just coming out of earnings season. Japanese companies have done very well, haven't they, in the last earnings season? Their, their corporate profits are at almost at record highs. Uh, what does that mean for the economy? Well, you're right. Yeah, yeah. Japanese uh, corporates are doing really, really well. Uh, the thing in Japan, you know, the, the, the profits do, do not tend to be reinvested in domestic economies. So, so Japanese firms make a lot of money, make a lot of profits on overseas markets uh, where rate of returns are very high, especially in Southeast Asia and in China as well. So it doesn't mean, unfortunately, a, a lot for the domestic economy. So we, we still expect the economy to recover from, from the COVID recession, um, but it's going to be a relatively uh, slow pace of recovery. And I don't think it really affects the outlook 
the fact that Japanese companies are really uh, making huge profit. Okay, Maxime, good to talk to you. Thank you very much. That's Maxime Darmitz, who is economist at Fitch Ratings. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. And in Japan right now, the Nikkei 225 is up one and a quarter percent. The ASX 200 in Australia up about 1.2 percent. Stocks in South Korea are closed. Looks like the Hang Seng is going to add about 130, 140 points at the open this morning. Gwent crude oil. Right now, trading at about ninety. Uh, sorry, trading at about a hundred dollars and thirty-four cents. Uh, gold, pretty stable, trading at one thousand nine hundred and seven dollars an ounce. We'll have more business and finance updates for you tomorrow morning at eight o'clock. Coming up after the news, uh, COVID updates with Jim Gord and Ada Wong. Let me give you an update on the weather forecast uh, for this morning. Going to be mainly cloudy, warm with sunny periods during the day. Maximum temperature is around 25 degrees, mild with sunny intervals in the next few days. Temperature right now is 20 degrees, 83% relative humidity. 31 and a half. Here's Andrew Shrosky with the half hour news. Chief Executive Kerry Lamb has appealed to people to stay calm after talk of an imminent hard lockdown led to panic buying at supermarkets. Speaking after welcoming the mainland's point man on fighting COVID, Liang Wanyan, to Hong Kong, she said the government was still assessing whether the public should be banned from leaving their homes during the mass testing later this month. When conducting a compulsory universal testing exercise that involves the whole society, we need to seriously assess to what extent people movement should be restricted in the so-called lockdown, because there will be a lot of people who need to go out to serve. Tens of thousands of civil servants will need to support the mass testing exercise. We can't impose a lockdown on those who provide essential and emergency services as well. The English Schools Foundation says forcing its schools to take an early summer break would have a significant impact on learning and its ability to start a new academic year on time in August. Its chief executive, Belinda Greer, was commenting after officials announced yesterday that international schools would not have to follow local schools in starting the summer break this month. Ms. Greer cited the need to sit international exams and the expiry of teacher contracts. Our academic calendar differs from local schools and we do have other operational differences such as teacher contract arrangements. So in an international school, the teacher employment contracts are signed according to what would be pre-published school year dates. So our resigning teachers, those leaving Hong Kong, will leave at the end of June and the replacing staff um, will arrive um, early August. So it's really difficult for us to provide what would be full operations in July and August. Health authorities reported 34,466 new infections yesterday, another record high. 87 more COVID patients aged between 51 and 100 have died. Overseas again, Ukraine has accused Russia of bombarding residential districts in the country's second largest city, Kharkiv, killing at least 11 people and injuring dozens. The BBC's Jonathan Beal looks at the Russian advance so far. The Russians have made advances, but slower than expected. Their most significant gains have been in the south. Remember, one of Russia's early objectives was to create a land bridge from Crimea and then expand their control towards the Russian declared republics in Donetsk and Luhansk. They've also made gains in the northeast, but as yet they've been unable to take the main cities there, like Kharkiv. 
Russian forces are continuing their efforts to surround the capital, Kiev. But again, they're meeting fierce resistance. Western officials believe the invasion so far is not going according to plan. The news from RTHK. Good morning and welcome to COVID.